And welcome to another edition of Bite Marsh Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up, we're going to get an update from Brian Glazer about a National Science Foundation project to study the Heia Fish Pond. And of course, uh, then we'll talk to Tyler Hironaka and Ephraim Botalan, as well as student Kamanu, who's here from Kalani High School. We'll learn about a new STEM robotics program called Aeronautical Engineering Robotics. Or Aero. But of course, first off, we do want to welcome Brian Glazer back to the show, Associate Professor at the Department of Oceanography at UH Manoa. Welcome back, Brian. Aloha. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, you uh, were kind of leading me with a lot of bits of information and this exciting NSF grant that you got awarded. So now you can fill us in on all the details. What's, uh, what's this all about? So we've been doing a lot of work in Hei'a Fish Pond for a number of years, looking at the way that the biology and the chemistry act together and how the fish pond today is very different than hundreds of years mm-hmm. ago. And one of the things that we're always very limited by is the numbers of instrumentation that we can put out into the pond to measure exactly what's going on at different places. And so the last two years, we've been successful at getting funding at doing that, lowering the entry point using some lower-cost embedded systems electronics to operate sensors in different places. This past uh, early in the year, National Science Foundation uh, initiated a program they call Public Participation in STEM Research. And the light went off in, in my head, and I said, this is perfect for the fish pond community. So they are funding a workshop that we're going to run called Blending Cultural and Environmental Resilience with Contemporary Technology, mm. cutting-edge environmental sensor workshop for LocoEA. So August 7th, 8th, and 9th, we're bringing together 40 folks from all across the state, other groups like Paipai Ohea, to see exactly the kinds of things we've been doing in Hea, and then expand that out to another 18 to 20 ponds statewide. Now, um, the startup that I'm involved with also works with sensors and needs to get the cost down to make it, you know, really workable for either nonprofits or small farms in our case. When you say you're developing these and you were just showing us before the show pictures of some of these things you're actually building, you're building like sensor housings and putting them together. What what kind of a delta are you allowed to uh, achieve by building these low-cost sensors versus what you might get on the scientific sensor marketplace? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And what academic researchers like myself are really good at doing is getting funding, buying very expensive, overpriced, but reliable and very high-integrity instruments, mm-hmm. $10,000, $20,000 instrument packages, but we can only afford one or two of them. And so what researchers like me would like to do is to have 10 or 15 of them out there getting lots of different data to understand spatial resolutions at unprecedented scales. And the other side to that coin is that if I'm paying ten dollars or $20,000 for an instrument package, I'm going to be reluctant to give it to a bunch of seventh graders and say, here, <laughs> go play with this and understand how it works. Right. So a couple years ago, um, uh, I had an epiphany when I found out about BeagleBone Blacks and Raspberry Pis and Arduinos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm looking at some very expensive research-grade sensors that I had around the lab but needed either very expensive refurbishment to be independent data loggers or needed a tinkerer to say, I've got a $35 Raspberry Pi and a $5,000 oxygen sensor. These must work together somehow. Figured it out and then moved forward from there. So instead of spending ten dollars to $15,000 on a commercially available package, we can now still spend the same amount of money on the rigorous science sensor or not if we want to give it to a, a public audience and then make make back all of the money on the back end of providing the, the infrastructure around it by making use of some of those low-cost embedded systems. Now, is there any benefit with uh, y- all of the sensors that you're describing are kind of one-off sensors, or are you able to mass-produce you know, mass <laughs> them in any way to bring the cost down even further? Yeah, that's a really fun thing to think about. So again, as an academic researcher, I'm reluctant to think about 
the commercialization, um, commercialization uh-huh. thing, right? I want open source. I want to put this out there and really make use of it. At the same time, there's only certain things that I can do within the walls of academia and other times private industry is more, more uh, well positioned to do. So we're right now teetering on the edge of whether or not there's something commercialable here. Um, and through this workshop, we're testing the waters by building 30 of these sensors to then give to these pond groups statewide. Mm. So the last six weeks, I've had three undergrads working in my lab. Uh, the four of us have been kind of nonstop seeing if we can at least produce 30 to 40 of these on a month. And we're doing it with, without much problem because of 3D printing and other low cost. Uh, Always machines. exciting stuff. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about this education program, the STEM side, and how you would integrate it into education for these students. Yeah, so it's great. So uh, the the neat thing about the local E is that there's you know 50 fish ponds nation or uh, statewide that are looking to do the same things that have been done in Haea. You know, they have thousands of K through 12 students come through, and so it's a natural laboratory. It's a great story of both cultural and environmental resilience and restoration. And then it's also uh, a great place to educate students on something that they're interested in. So if kids come out to the pond and they're interested in electronics or engineering or coding, but not necessarily environmental science, we can trick them by giving them a pie and showing them how measuring dissolved oxygen can predict a fish kill. Or if students come out and are really into fishing and they want to know why the fish are there and why they're not over there or why there's an invasive lemu in this part of the pond, not that part of the pond, we can trick them because we can get them enticed with that environmental (laughs) angle and then show them how using some of the computational or engineering skills can allow us to really understand the system better. So was the NSF grant to enable you to build some of the curriculum or or was it to further the, the sensor sort of technology and deployment? Because prior to all of this, you were already deploying sensors in the Heia fish pond, right? Exactly. In 2015, we got a grant from NSF to start doing a proof of concept for this, and that was limited to just Heia. Uh, and in 2016, we got some additional funds from the Eric and Wendy Schmidt Foundation to do uh, some additional sensor development. And then now in 2017, we have this workshop funded, which is very targeted at delivering this same HAEA model to other fish ponds statewide. Okay. We also have a new grant through NSF, three years and 670000 to continue all of this work for the next three years statewide as well. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about this workshop itself. So the workshop itself is going to be a lot of fun. We have uh, partnered with Kua Foundation, who has this network and partnership with a variety of different uh, nonprofits statewide aimed at this coastal restoration. Uh, We've partnered with Kamehameha Schools, who has uh, graciously donated the facility for us up in Punalu. So August 7th, 8th, and 9th, we'll bring 50 participants. It's a mix of academic researchers like myself who have a quantified uh, expertise and mindset about things, and we're bringing those kinds of folks together with pond practitioners who are out there moving rocks, growing fish, and have kind of an innate observationalist understanding of their locations better than we do, and we're going to bring these two things together so that we'll be streaming live tides to the web, for example. I like this idea of pond practitioners. Where did you find this database of pond practitioners? Yeah, so it stems back for me. You know, I moved to Hawaii in 2004 as a postdoctoral researcher with the NASA Astrobiology Institute looking at underwater volcanoes, Mm -hmm. but I was also looking at biogeochemical questions in the coastal zone and started working in Heiea right away then. And so through working with the folks at at Paipai Oheia and then uh, meeting some other groups who are doing things at other ponds on Oahu and also on other islands, uh, but Kua Foundation, uh, Brenda Asuncion mm-hmm. is really the, the key, uh, the, the keystone of, of that network. So what would you say is a successful outcome of this workshop? I mean, what's the next step? Yeah, this is totally a benchmark. It's the start of something. It's not the end of something by any means. So on uh, August 9th, when these folks leave with their own tide gauge to go install in their local watershed, that's the beginning of hopping on 
the web and looking at the data enabling site-specific tide gauges. So if you don't live next to a NOAA tide gauge, now you don't necessarily have to guess, oh, is it an hour? Is it two hours? How long is the lag from what the tide chart says? Because they can start to produce their own tide charts. Your work at the Paipaio Heia has been probably um, really cutting edge. And from a fish pond standpoint, isn't that fish pond probably the one that gets a lot of attention? I, I guess my question is, how are the other fish ponds doing in comparison? Exactly. And that's something that I'm going to learn. And uh, I've, as we mentioned, worked a lot in Hea, but not the other ponds. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of restoration projects and trajectories they have and how what we've done might be able to help them or how what we've done needs to shift or ch- change course a little bit to help them better. Wow. So where can someone go to learn more about this project and perhaps see some of the outcome of this work? There's a bunch of long URLs, but uh, if you just Google me, Brian Glazer and, and University of Hawaii, you'll find a website there through through a couple links. There. Fantastic. And we'll okay, put the link great. on our show notes at bitemarkscafe.org. Well, thanks, Brian, for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's fantastic. And of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by the team over at Kalani High School, Tyler Hiranaka, Ephraim Brutalan. And of course, we'll talk about new robotics and a program called Aero. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. We live in Hakalau, which is a tiny little village 16 miles north of Hilo. And there's absolutely, we don't have high-speed anything. There's no cable TV. (laughs) So uh, radio is our lifeline. We absolutely live for HPR. We listen throughout the day without fail. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Well, welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Joining us now... Tyler Hironaka and Ephraim uh, Botalan. And of course, uh, they brought a student along, Kam- uh, Kamanu Ho Kendia. And of course, they're all from Kalani High School or f- associated with Kalani. Tyler is in charge of the Aero program and piloting the first season at Kalani High School. He's also the chairman of the board for the Asian American Junior Chamber of Commerce. Ephraim, meanwhile, is an avid drone racing enthusiast and advocate for drone technology in Hawaii. And as Bert mentioned, Kamanu is a student at Kalani High School, a junior. He was one of the lead students on the Aero pilot program with the Kalani Maker Lab this past summer. And of course, what are some of the opportunities with this new robotics program? We want to welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe. Aloha, Bert. Thanks for having us. Very good. So let's start off with maybe describing a little bit about this this program. And Ephraim, uh, you were very much involved with this kind of a pilot that occurred this summer, right? So what was the pilot involved? I mean, what was uh, involved with the pilot? So uh, the Aero program is set to launch uh, this fall mm-hmm. with participating schools. But uh, we partnered with uh, the Kalani Makers Lab uh, over the summer and... We ran our pilot program, so Trung Lam, who is the club advisor, was gracious enough to allow us to um, pretty much prove a concept of the program. So we implemented the flight school. Kamanu here was uh, our lead for the pit crew mm-hmm. in building the drone, and one of the other students uh, was also working on piloting the drone. So we had him do some simulator work uh, and practice on the uh, the small safe drone, and eventually had him try uh, the real thing 
he's still kind of practicing right now because, uh, you know, we're talking about a little drone that can probably go 20 miles an hour versus um, these, these five-inch uh, propeller drones that can go up to 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we got to see some of this at the Geek Meet, right. of course, at the uh, the Mini Make, Maker Fair. Right. Some really great demonstrations, and Kalani's uh, school being one of the pilot schools. But it's part of a larger initiative, and I know it's tied to the uh, Asian American uh, Chamber of Commerce. So, Tyler, can you tell us a little bit about sort of how that all came together? Yeah. So, um, for the Asian American Junior Chamber of Commerce, we're an organization of uh, young professionals, eighteen to forty, all over the world. Um, for our chapter, what we did a few years back was we surveyed the community at one of our larger events. We asked, hey, you know, what do you, what does the community want and what do you guys want to see? So based on some of the things, they, uh, they mentioned that they want to improve education. Um, they wanted to bring a little bit more technology, that kind of thing. So what we did a few, like maybe a year and a half ago was we came together and we were like, what can we do to service these, these needs that the community mentioned to us? Mm-hmm. So started off with F and I, we sat down, we, we got together, we threw around a whole bunch of ideas. Over the span of a few months, you know, F loves his drones. And then when I got to find out a little bit more about them, I was like, this is what we're going to do. So we brought it back. And then um, so now the idea, right, is to engage the younger guys in something a little bit more cool, a little bit more hip for robotics, a, little bit, a lot more exciting, I feel, um, to get them interested in STEM-based degrees at the college level. Mm-hmm. And then later on, what we hope to do is to work with the guys that we're working with in the program to have meaningful discussion in the community of what we can do to keep these guys here in Hawaii after they graduate. Mm-hmm. So, Efren, we know you're uh, really into it, but let's hear from Kamanu. Um, you were, were, we heard how Tyler was just sucked in by how exciting this was. Um, what was your thoughts in terms of discovering this program and this opportunity? Um, I'm going to be honest. At first, I thought it was kind of odd, you know, drone racing. I was like, you know, what is this? You know, so our our instructor, um, Trung, he came to us and he told us that we would be having people come in to, you know, kind of introduce us to this concept. Um, and as they came and showed us what it was, I kind of got more interested. It was really, you know, really nice to see what you could do with drones. You know, you can use it for agriculture, stuff like that. And it was kind of interesting to see how it changed from what I thought was kind of weird and lame to maybe really fun and cool. <laughs> Whoa, that's, and a, that's, 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 that's quite good. a trend. <laughs> it went 180 degrees. So Ephraim, what's the, the connection with robotics? We love covering robotics programs. We think about FIRST and VEX and those things. When I see drone racing, these little zippy little drones that are just flying around and going through obstacles, it's hard for me to connect those two ideas together as far as an educational pathway. Uh, so in coming up with a program, like uh, there are many different types of drones. Like we chose the racing side because um, it does um, does draw your curiosity, especially with the kids. Um, right now, like drones are going to be a multi-billion dollar industry. There are many commercial applications. Kamanu's uh, mother and a couple of the other parents asked us, all right, you guys are building racing drones, but like what, what use is this going to be in the future? And... Uh, to me, I see a lot of uh, potential when it comes to automation. You know, that's uh, kind of the world that we're about to step into maybe in the next decade is automation and mm-hmm. AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that draws upon a lot of uh, programming and even mathematics. As a matter of fact, how the racing side started truly was with a hack. Uh, the flight controllers that 
uh, the drones use right now were hacked uh, Wii U nunchucks um, because they have probably the best gyroscopes. And they went from there. Like, literally, a hacker created a program and is like, all right, you can fly a drone with this flight controller now. Mm -hmm. And it's now evolved uh, to where all the components are, they come together really well and they don't fail as much. Um, and there's there's still a lot of potential right now. So uh, the Drone Racing League is on ESPN. Uh, they're running their Season 2 championships, I believe, this Friday. Yeah. Um, but all these guys are the YouTube superstars. How we all got into it was watching a YouTube video of drones racing in the forest, and we think Star Wars pod racing. Right, right. Or speeder so, bikes. Come on, I mean, Ephraim and, and uh, Tyler, they talk about <clears throat> pilot, the pilot program. And from a student's perspective and you know under no pressure what did it what was it that you went through from a pilot you know, from the i guess you know this summer pilot program uh what did you learn from it and and what is it that you can take to next fall in terms of creating this actual program this actual robotics program so you know you piloted it during the summer what is it going to be like in the fall um from piloting, piloting, piloting it, sorry, um, it was it is kind of hard, and I think that. It well, I'm, and I'm not talking about actually, you know, like the, the the piloting of the drone. I'm talking about the piloting of the the program <laughs> oh. itself, right? So, from a from a uh, more curriculum standpoint, what was it that you had to go through in the program that you can now say that's going to be incorporated in the fall? Um, you kind of have to learn how to manage your time and manage your project in general because you can't just be, you know, flying around doing all kinds of different stuff with your drone and it or sort of end up unfinished and right. you have to focus on stuff. Um, it, it teaches you, I guess, how to be responsible in a way. Mm -hmm. um, Are there objectives that were set for you in the course of this summer that you had to do the aero program? Um, yes. Like for building the drone, we had little kind of deadlines where you'd finish certain parts of it and then after that, everything, you'd have little pieces and you'd put everything together in the end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then how do you guys see translating this uh, into the fall kind of curriculum or fall program? Yeah, so um, this fall, we're going to be deploying the full curriculum. We have a, a segment on Newtonian mechanics to kind of go over the safety features and mm -hmm. how, you know, things that go affect the flight. So the kids really have a good understanding of, you know, what makes the, the quadcopter turn, fly, things like that. After, for a short while, they're going to take a little pause, uh, have a little bit of creativity to go on, um, make some team names and things like that, do some, I guess, project management stuff. And then they split into the Flight Academy and the Pit Crew, where, where, the, where the program gets really fun and exciting. So. Is this how, so what duration is the program? Is it over the course of the entire year, or are you talking about, you know, like a six-month program? And what's the duration? Yeah, so the duration of the program, we're going to start in September. Um, then the program's going to go, we're, we're going to give the educators a little bit of leeway because this is our first year, uh, because, and also there's some other programs that are going to be going simultaneously at the same time. So the program is going to go from fall and it'll finish in the spring. In the spring, we're going to have our qualifying races where the uh, participating schools are going to compete against each other. And then we'll have our Grand Prix event and then a final. Right mm -hmm. after so that. Ephraim, uh, you know, Tyler mentioned you have sort of the pit crew and you have the pilots. It almost sounds like, you know, certainly the pilot might be the quarterback and then you have all the other members of the team. Uh, mm -hmm. Break down the responsibilities and is there like a competition to become the pilot of a team? The top gun. <laughs> uh, we we kind of leave it for the, the club itself or the uh -huh. team itself to figure out. So 
uh, when interacting with Kalani, we kind of let them know uh, what sort of teams they can join. So there was a pit crew, there was a pilot uh, pilot crew, um, and hopefully, you know, we want more than one to be able to uh, pilot the drone. And there were also people that were in charge of operations and parts management mm-hmm. for inventory and a team captain to kind of be the glue that holds everybody together. So Kalani, I mean, I'm sorry, Kamanu was actually in our pit crew, and he was our designated tech. If you think a NASCAR team, he's the lead mechanic. Uh, Vu was our lead pilot, so he had the most stick time when it came to practicing on a simulator and eventually flying the real drone. So we wanted to establish um, that team atmosphere where, you know, people have, like, the sub-communities that they join. And I think uh, we leave it up to the club to determine, like, okay, um, so-and-so is probably the best at piloting this because they would have to be somebody that represents a school. And as Tyler mentioned, the end game with this is to establish uh, the first interscholastic drone racing tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I run a, a local league, and <clears throat> excuse me, I run a local league, and um, a couple of the folks in my league, we, we run races, and we'll actually have a state championship soon, but I think uh, bringing the joy joy of drone racing to the high school level and uh, kids definitely take into this like very easily and they they pick up real quick. Uh, trying to expand the interest like just locally. You know, we're talking to uh, Tyler Hironaka and Ephraim Botalan, and they're both uh, part of the organizing team to bring together Aero. And of course, we have uh, Kamanu Ho Kandia, who's one of the students and. We're talking about uh, this Aero program, and I wanted to ask you, um, Kamanu, you're part of the team. How many people were on that team? I mean, we saw it sounds like there were at least a couple other people, but how did you go about recruiting others for the team that played, you know, was piloting during the summer? And, you know, how did you guys decide from your student perspective who did what? Um, So recruiting-wise, we really didn't recruit too many people, but it was just people in the club. And so, so this is the maker club that you're talking yes. about. Yes. Right? So the maker guy said, "Okay, we're gonna do some drone stuff." Yeah. And so, how many people were were consist of that uh, that group? Um, I believe the pilot team. So people who were mostly piloting had about three people. Mm-hmm. Pit, you know, pit crew had about four or something, and then there were just a couple other people. So maybe eight or nine, maybe ten ish. I don't know. So how do you see in September? Would this team continue to be the same, or do you plan to recruit p- others from the student body? Um, we do plan to recruit more, um, maybe not too much as it is a small club, but hopefully enough to maybe spread the word around, you know, school or maybe you know their friends from other schools to get this kind of, you know, thing going around. Now, is Tyler, this a guy thing, or is this <laughs> are you recruiting women to be a part of this uh, um, team? We have women too. Okay, um, there's like. There's a pilot who's a woman. She doesn't do too much, but she she likes it. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, because I mean, we do other things in the club, but we do have someone on pit crew who is a woman. So we have a couple of girls in the club. Good, good. So, Tyler, we're talking about a pilot program at Kalani, but obviously I would imagine the vision is for it to spread to other schools. Um, how do you see that happening? And not to pile on a second question, but drones aren't free. So how are programs like these funded to get the equipment to deploy a uh, drone racing program at a school? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, This whole program would not be brought to you without the volunteer work from some of the organizations like uh, F's League, Aloha FPV, Asian American Junior Chamber of Commerce Aero Committee. Um, 
as well as the Future Farmers of America Kalani chapter. But all the funds are donated by sponsors. And, you know, with working with these people is what I mentioned earlier. Uh, all the sponsors, it would be great to work with them to have that meaningful community discussion. So the program is built by the community for the community. And we work with each other to hopefully, as Argo, as a Asian American Junior Chamber of Commerce, to make a better Hawaii. So let's say my kids at Mililani High School wanted to get an aero project going at their school, they would be there would be a fundraising component or a community outreach component to find additional sponsors to cover the costs of equipment, for example? Yeah, so um, actually for the schools, good. Uh, that's another great question you asked. They pretty much just have to contact us, um, aajchawaii at gmail.com or on our website, aerohawaii.org. You can reach us on, on those two avenues. Um, but yeah, you just have to reach out to us and we'll do our best efforts to work with you to pair you with a sponsor. So coming up in the fall, you do have some other schools that are looking at, at joining this program. I mean, maybe you could give us a short list of, of who's interested. Yeah, so right now um, there's a lot of interest, but the confirmed schools that we have are uh, Kalani High School Maker Lab, uh, the Kalani High School Robotics Team, uh, Mililani High School, uh, Marino right. Schools, and uh, we have a few other schools that we're discussing with. It was very, pop- it was very popular at um, Iolani, Punahou, and we're in discussion with also Kamuki High School. Um, Ephraim, as a builder and an avid person in these uh, raising drones, what are we looking at in terms of if, let's say, I wanted to get into it myself or get my son into drone racing, what would it cost to I have a home practice rig? Uh, for a practice rig, uh, the drone by itself would probably be around two or $300. Uh, the kit that we have spec'd uh, that includes um, a couple batteries, chargers, the one-time purchases like the goggles and the mm-hmm. transmitters, I'd say it would be around $1,200. Altogether. Mm-hmm. And I, I made sure, like, when we spec'd out the kit that there are spares because, you know, what goes up <laughs> must crash. come down. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, that would be one of the critical components of, like, the pit crew, for example, is um, I, I'm very real with the kids. You will fly it, and you will crash it, and you will need to be able to know how to fix it. And that's where I think the uh, presence of mind and critical crit- critical thinking is going to have to come in and, um, in how to repair it. Mm-hmm. Because uh, when I first got into it, it was a lot of jerry-rigging. So, Kamanu, I mean, you know, this is a first-person view. You have to wear some goggles. What's the experience like, and how would you... Uh, let's say, advise somebody who's interested, how would they be prepared to actually take on this immersive environment? Um, when you fly, it's really, it's different from anything you've ever done. Um, because you're seeing what the drone sees when you go up, you've never been that high any, you know, before without stuff under you and there's no railing. So you get, when I first you know, sat along, they came and they showed us, uh, F and Tyler, um, they, F was flying and they had a, like a sit-along where you put on the goggles and watch him fly. And it's really... It's weird, and I, he gave us a simulator, and that really helps because when you know what it's like seeing first person with the drone before you actually get up with a real one, it helps you kind of prepare yourself instead of going you know, on the real drone going, whoa, and you drop it out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. So do you, uh, do you see this thing kind of going national? I mean, obviously, you've got to get it going in the first year here in Hawaii. You've got to get to the, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the championships or the finals uh, here in Hawaii. I mean, what do you see? As going forward in terms of uh, mainland? I'd say on the mainland, um, and I, I've been told uh, that we are actually the first that's attempting a curriculum for the racing drone side, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, I'm, I'm excited about. 
also scared about too because we're setting a precedent. Uh, but definitely between Tyler and I, we're very excited because this has the potential to reach national and um, hopefully with the people that we talk with, um, it can go international because the JCI is actually an, an international entity. Right, right. Well, you better uh, let us know when the championships are. We will come and check it out and uh, you know definitely report on it. Well, both uh, Tyler Hironaka and Ephraim uh, Butalan uh, are both uh, organizers of the Aero program. Of course, uh, uh, Kamanuho Kendia is one of the students in the team over at Kalani, and this is over uh, coming up next year in the, well, this year in September. I want to thank you both, or all three of you, for joining us. Mahalo, Bert. Mahalo, Ryan, for having us. And thank, thank you. you for listening you. to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us uh, next week when we're going to talk about the North Korea Disaster Preparedness Plan. Of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And of course, if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And I'm at Hawaii. We also recommend you check out the HPR mobile app. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth and Kozlovich. Yeah, we stay safe. And of course, see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.